Uh, but I'm glad to be here this morning. And I, I think uh, our churches need help. And the Bible says an evangelist is a gift to the church. I'm not here. I'm not a pastor. That's why I don't counsel people. I let the pastors deal with all the problems. I just, I just cause them. Then I leave town. <laughs> One evangelist told me, he said, your job is to show up, blow up, and blow out. Or blow in, blow up, and blow out. That's what it was. And, uh, but I do try to help churches, and I want to I help you today. And this is not because the sermon that I have today is not because I know there's something wrong in our church. or I, I, I know nothing about any of your testimonies. I know nothing about the church. I got to tour the church yesterday, and uh, I, I know nothing about your personal testimonies. I have nothing about the politics of your church or who gets along with who or who doesn't get along with anybody in the church. I don't know if you have a cooperative spirit and everybody just holds hands and sing Kumbaya every morning. <laughs> Uh, but I want to help you today with, with church. Uh, Philippians chapter number four. If you'll stand, we got to get that exercise in. You know, the funny thing was, I was going to pray at the end of, at the end of my scripture reading, I was going to pray that the Lord would stop the rain. And uh, it seems like it's stopping. So when I'm done, you'll say, where's the Lord God of Elijah? No, but, uh, it was not me that stopped the rain, but I was going to pray for that because, you know, I know how it is and wanting to have a big day and, and fun outside. And so uh, I pray that the sun will come out and, and dry it up so we can go horseback riding. Anyways, <laughs> Philippians chapter number four. I'm going to get to the scripture eventually. The Bible says, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and my crown. Stand, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Now, how many have kids? Now, how many know when your kids come to you and they say, Dad, you're the best dad in the entire world. I just love you so much. Mom, you're the best cook. They want something, don't they? And Paul here, he begins to, he starts this last chapter of, of Philippians, and he says, my dearly beloved, my longed for, my joy and my crown, my dearly beloved. And I'm thinking, he's about to rip your face off. Okay. And uh, that's what that's what I get out of that passage. I'm thinking he's buttering them up. You know, the first part of the uh, the Corinthian letter, you know, is oh, I, I Paul, apostle Jesus Christ, I love you, and I and even Philippians, you know, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to say, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of y'all because I have you in my heart. And he goes on and on in this chapter and he's just buttering them up and then he says, you're jerks. No, but but he, he's going to reprimand some people in the following passages here after saying all these nice sweet things about them. Verse number two, he says this, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, so everybody else, help those women, that's another group of people, that labored with me in the gospel. With Clement, there's another person. And with my fellow laborers, there's some other people whose names are in the book of life. Those are the saved people, another group of people. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation, all of you people, let your moderation be made, and by the way, all you people rejoice in the Lord. All of you people, let your moderation be made known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. All of you, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 
And all of you, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you about the, on the simple subject this morning. I'm going to turn this one off. I'm going to talk to you very simply on, can't we all just get along? Now that phrase comes from somewhere. I'm going to tell you where it came from. And uh, it's not an ecumenical phrase. It's not a, it's not a hold hands with the Catholics and Buddhists and Mormons and Hindu and Sikhs and, and all have the same God. Because by the way, we don't have the same God. I love people. I, 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 I love all the peoples of this earth. The Bible says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I believe every creature ought to have a preacher. And I love all the peoples of the world, red and yellow, black and white, except for purple, because that means they're dead. But, uh, and uh, I, in the United States, sometimes I, I tease people, and uh, I can get away with saying certain things that other people can't get away with, because I'm almond and chocolatey. And, um, <laughs> I'm like a latte, basically. <laughs> but uh, sweet, but strong. No, but uh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I, oftentimes I'll say, you know, back in the 1950s and 60s, they called black people colored people. That's what they called us. I don't know if they did that here. And uh, this was the end of the Underground Railroad up here, wasn't it? Thank you. No. But, uh, but uh, I, and I'll say, you, I, I'll tease people and I'll say, you, you people used to call black people colored people. I said, white people, when they get nervous, their face turns red. When they get cold, their lips turn blue. When they get scared, they turn, they, they, you lose all color. When they die, they turn gray. Because I think you're the colored ones, you know? <laughs> but, uh, anyways, but, I, I always say something in every church that gets me uninvited the next time, so <laughs> just expect it. I'm gonna say something crazy. But, uh, I'm gonna tell you why that phrase came from. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. And Lord, I pray right now that you'd help us. We need, we need to hear from you. We'll have a good time and we'll, we'll laugh a little bit, no doubt. And, uh, we'll have some fellowship later, but Lord, the most important part of this day is the people of God making up the house of God, the church of God, hearing the word of God preached by the man of God, and offering ourselves upon the altar of God for your service. And I pray that you would do something in our hearts this morning. May we be different because we met here. Lord, I pray that if there's any lost person in this room today, that they would, Lord, repent unto you and believe the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And Lord, I pray that the saved people would be challenged. We'll give you glory. You deserve all the glory and all the praise for anything that's done ever by us or through us. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. In the year 19, oh, I believe it was 1992, there were some very divisive things that happened in the United States of America. One of them was... Uh, uh, the lesser of the two events, I believe, was the murder of a lady named Nicole Brown Simpson. And she was married to the, the football star and track star O.J. Simpson, Orenthal James Simpson, uh, who will probably die in prison sometime in the next five years. But uh, that verdict came out. He was. I remember coming home from camp one day, and I remember watching the Los Angeles news stations, and they were following his white Bronco all the way through there, and he was going 100 miles an hour over the highways and, and through the woods and everything else, and, and they had discovered that her and her lover had been killed, and he was most likely the one that did it, and so they were, they were following him, and they ended up having a trial, and the trial of the century, and I remember, I remember so many sayings from late night TV, and jokes began to be made because 
of the O.J. Simpson. I remember the glo- if the glove don't fit, you must acquit. And uh, those of you that are old enough to remember that, you gave that a chuckle because you remember that statement uh, being made there. And there were so many different things that came out of there. And then came the day where there was a not guilty sentence. And it really tore at the fabric of American society of how could this man, It was did he get away because he was a famous person? Did he get away with it because he was an athlete? Did he get away with it because they didn't want to convict a, a black man on the heels of this other event I'm about to talk about? And that, I remember that being so pivotal in my upbringing. I remember when I, I was I was eighth grade, like I said, coming home from camp, watching this all unfold. And I remember it was the tearing apart the American society, much like many issues are today. But before that, there was a man by the name of Rodney King. How many of you know who Rod, you heard the name Rodney King? Okay, I know who's older. And uh, no, but uh, Rodney King was a man who was he was absolutely whacked out on drugs. He was doing crack cocaine at the time, which was, I mean, it was a quick high. It was a quick, intense high, and he just went berserk. And so the police started chasing him. They were trying to pull him over, and he was going, uh, I mean, 100 miles an hour through neighborhoods, through residential neighborhoods. And they chased him and chased him and chased him and chased him, and finally they caught up with him. I don't know if he ran out of gas or just they threw spikes down and shredded his tires. I can't remember how they caught up to him, but they caught up to him, and he was taken out of the car, and I mean, he was <laughs> he was severely beaten. And, uh, and, and, and I don't justify anything that they did, but if I was chasing you at 100 miles an hour and I almost lost my life and several people around me, I might hit you with a nightstick a few times. But uh, I'm not justifying what they did, but they, I mean, they, and they, they went overboard when they finally caught up to him. And it was like the beginning of our news era where, I don't know how it's up here, but when anything ever happens in the States, I mean, there's, there's, there's 700 people that are like this. I mean, there could be somebody bleeding in the aisle right here, and instead of helping them, they're like, who's going to do something? Yeah. And they're all looking through their cameras. I'm thinking, help the guy, he's bleeding to death. But this was one of the first times where they had caught anything like this on video. And I don't remember, if it, I think it was a news camera, a news helicopter that caught the video of this, but they zoomed in down here and they saw these six or seven off. Now again, he was on drugs and so some of it was needful, but you know, the court system later figured out it was overboard. And, but they zoomed down and these men were just, I mean, pummeling this guy. And then came the trial. And in the first trial that they had, these six or seven police officers we heard the headlines, not guilty. And I, Los An- the city of Los Angeles is, is, is one of the most populated cities in the world. I mean, it just kind of blew up like, I mean, like a C4 plastic explode. It just boom, and everybody started rioting, and the city was on fire, and it, w- it was amazing. And they were trying to contain it. The National Guard came in and was trying to contain this to a certain block radius. But, I mean, it was, it was a massive outrage. And it, was, it, it got to the point where literally people were walking down the street singing, do I do? No, it's okay. But uh, that was a worldly moment. But anyways, they're walking down the street, and uh, it was just, I have ADD, so it pops in and it has to go out. But they were seeing, and they would see somebody who was white, and they would go now and attack that person. Or they'd see somebody who was Asian, and they'd go attack that person. 
And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Well, it got to the point where there was another central figure that uh, event that happened. During all of this rioting, there was a truck driver, and his name was Reginald Denny. And Reginald Denny was a white man. He was a truck driver, and these, these group of black gentlemen and women came to his truck, and they pulled him out of his truck, and they basically beat this man almost to death. And now you've got this group that's angry, this other group that's angry, the police that are angry and on edge, the military that are angry and on edge, and they're just waiting to have to come in and clean up this mess. But something strange happened after Reginald Denny was beaten, and it was so horrific. I remember even as a young person seeing that, and I'm thinking, what in the world is this country coming to? Several weeks later, he started to recover, and he had stitches on his face, and he was just beaten and bruised. And But they held a press conference together. Rodney King, Reginald Denny, together. And one of them made the statement, I don't even remember which one it was, but one of them made the statement, can't we all just get along? And it became a joke, actually, from the late night uh, talk shows and, and, the, and the sitcom shows and everything else, can't we all just get along? But it actually started to catch a little bit. And we started to look at our neighbors and say, man, what is, that's not who we are as a country. That's not who we are as a people. And we, we, we began to bind up some of the wounds that separated us. Say, Brother Allen, why tell that story? Because Paul is describing here a church that is divided, a group of people that is divided. And he said, if you're not careful, there are going to be things that happen. There's going to be, the gospel is going to be shortchanged. The work of God is going to be hindered because we can't just get along with each other. And again, I don't preach this this morning because I, you know, the pastor talked to me yesterday and there's five men that are fighting him. You know, he didn't say anything like that yesterday. We were too busy stuffing our faces at the Mandarin to talk about anything going on in the church. But I know humans very well. And as sure as we're a human being, we have to deal with things like pride and envy and strife and division. And so I'm not preaching this morning because I know anything is wrong. I may even just be preaching it for preventative medicine. But I want to help you this morning. Can't we all just get along? And Paul gives us a recipe in this passage here that we're going to look at very quickly this, this afternoon and this morning. And uh, he gives us a recipe in this that we can all get along as a church member. Listen, there, there are things that uh, everybody loves being part of a team. The NBA Finals just happened. And uh, the World Cup is going on right now, and everybody's, you know, I have certain ones of my friends that love soccer. I played soccer for three years in high school. I know I don't look like it, but at one point in time, many moons ago, I played soccer, and uh, I was a team defensive captain. I played 90 minutes straight, never wanted to get out. I never wanted to be out of the soccer game. And, uh, but, but there's, there's just something about being a part of a team. So much so that we think we're a part of the sports teams that we watch. We just, we just had the, the Golden State Warriors versus, there he goes, here, see, you know what I mean? And, uh, he just acted like he won the championship. <laughs> I thought he was gonna get up and run a lap around the church. And then we had LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. <laughs> no reaction. <laughs> Look, that's the reaction we got. Okay, good. I'm in the right place. But here's what people say. We got these two teams competing against each other, and they, here's what they say. I see them on Facebook. 
Like, yeah, we won last night. I'm like, you didn't win anything. <laughs> the only way you're winning with the Golden State Warriors is if you play Xbox. That's the only way you're winning. We won last night. We're, we'll get them tomorrow night. I'm thinking, you didn't do anything. But we like being a part of a team. We like being, you know, the, the players on our team, you know, the, the Blue Jays, man, I'm going to tell you, man, we, we're going we're gonna to win that next year. And it's like, you won't even throw one pitch out. <laughs> you and I would get, we, we'd get winded running from home plate to first base. We need oxygen. That's why Babe Ruth said, I want to hit home runs. He said, I don't like running around the bases. But we like being a part of something. i tell you, the church is God's team. And you ought to want to be a part of it. And you ought to want your team to function at high capacity. Mm. You know, everybody, they sing LeBron James's praises many a time because he really doesn't have a very good team. And they kind of showed that. But if only one player is a great guy and, well, he can dribble and he can shoot and he can play defense and he can do this. But you've got to have four other players that, that, are, that are step it up. And in the church, let me tell you, a lot of churches I've seen, the pastor can dribble, shoot, block, play defense, play offense. But he's not going to get the job done. Well, now he's got another. He's got, we got Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And uh, that's, it's not, it's not going to be effective. Not when it's two on the forces of Satan. We say, we got deacons in our church. What we need is everybody on this team working. What we need is everybody on this team going in the same direction. You know, I, one of the funnest things that we, we do at some camps is you'll have that tug of war. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they'll put a mud pit in the middle of that tug of war. And I'm going to tell you, there's nothing more frustrating than your, and I was one of those people that was, I was either all the way on the back because I was a big anchor and, uh, or I'm all the way in the front and getting, getting a good tug on the front end of it. And there's nothing more frustrating. You're back here and you're low and, I mean, you're just trying to get in the rhythm there and there's that one guy that's just kind of hanging on. (laughs) (laughs) So grab a hold of that rope or we're going to kill you with this rope afterwards. We're going to tie you up and throw you in the lake. There's nothing worse with somebody that's not pulling their own weight. I've been, I've been a part of uh, different things like rowing, and, and we've been on boats where we've had double rowers. And then the guy in the front decides he's not going to row any. Or we got several outside of one side, and, and it's just one guy's just, eh, whatever. There's nothing more frustrating. I'm telling you, there's nothing more frustrating in the church than having half the boat rowing, another half not. Or one, one, we're trying to go here and everybody else is trying to go that way. It's not going to work. You're going to go in a circle and not get anywhere. And I can't tell you how many churches I go to that are just spinning their wheels, just going in a circle. Nobody's going anywhere. There are some right now, my, one of my best friends, he's, he's candidating at a, another church to possibly be their youth pastor and he'll preach to the teens in the church this morning, uh, back in Florida where I was. And, there was another church he candidated for in our area back in Wisconsin. And they had been without a pastor, I think, for like 10 months or 16 months, somewhere around there. And really, they, kind of, they probably won't get one. 
Because half the church wants to go this direction. The other half wants to go this direction over here. Nobody is asking what God direction is. And it's sad because that church is probably going to die. And we need more churches. Especially in our area, we've got 1.8 million people in the Milwaukee metro area. The city of Milwaukee is 600,000 people. We've got 1.8, somewhere between 1, 1.6, I think, 1.2, 1.6 million people uh, in the area. The new statistics. We need, there's only six or seven churches. Listen, we've got a good sized church in our, in my home church, but we're not getting the, we're not getting that job done. It's too much. And it's sad to see some kind of a spirit get in there of division and everything falls apart. Well, let's, let's get a recipe that, that'll help us from here on out. Number one, he said that if you're going to thrive together as a church, and by the way, you, you, you heard me earlier quote a lot of the book of the first chapter of Philippians. I actually used to have the entire book of Philippians memorized. Uh, we had to do it in high school. One year we, we memorized it by sections, and then I was the only one in the high school my senior year that was able to say it from start to finish. And so I was, I was, I was pretty happy about that, but I'm getting older and I don't remember anything. But, uh, but I still have a lot of it. And it's, it became really my favorite book of the Bible because it shows Paul's heart for the church. And you're going to see it in a minute here, but Paul loves the church. And let me tell you, as an evangelist, I love the church of God and the churches of God. And man, I want to see every church be all that it can be until Jesus comes back. And I want to see families be all they can be until Jesus comes back. But there's a recipe for success in the church. Here's number one. We've got to be of the same mind. We've got to be of the same mind. Understand this. Euodius, here's what their names mean. This is very important. Euodius means somebody that has helped along the way or fine traveling. Syntyche, by contrast, means an accident or to happen by chance. One, he was planned. It's fine traveling. Helped along the way. This guy, well, he just so happened to come along. He was kind of the accident that happened. You know, it's kind of like your third kid. Amen. And, uh, never mind. But, uh, some of you'll get that tomorrow. I was telling him on the way here, but the man, I said, my, 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 my mother had me at 15 years of age. I was, Listen to I was the accident. My mother, both of her parents had died before that time. I was, I was born in Gary, Indiana. It's the number one vacation spot for nobody. <laughs> it's horrible. At the, when I was born there, it was actually the murder capital of the world when I was born there. And that was that era of it. But both my grandparents died, so my mother was basically a teenager raising herself. Now, she had older brothers and sisters, and she was going from aunt to uncle's house and different things like that. But she was just, she was 14 when that, when that happened, when she lost her mother at 14, and then her father later at 15, and then she had me. And my home was, I mean, I was, most people don't even realize this about me before they hear my testimony. They're like, you were what? <laughs> and uh, I, I was raising home, I mean, drugs. I mean, it was nothing. I used to come to, I, I was telling the folks uh, a couple weeks ago, I used to come to uh, home Sunday night after church. I went to church by myself. I got saved, and then four months later, my mother got saved. But I would walk up our back stairs to our, to our home when I'd get dropped off Sunday night after church, and uh, I would have to almost, I, you know how you say you can cut the air with a knife? Mm-hmm. I could cut the weed smoke with a knife. And it was like I had to walk through this cloud 
and it wasn't the Shekinah glory. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't the glory crowd in the temple. Walk, but I did see visions, amen? and uh, I felt pretty good too. I had, I had great liberty to preach certain times, but I'd have to walk through that to go read my Bible and pray or listen. I'd listen to preaching tapes as they're blaring the, some of the filthiest rap music. I would listen to preaching tapes or put it in my ears so I wouldn't have to hear that junk. See, I was that accident that just so happened to come along the way. And uh, my wife was, she wasn't quite that, she was, uh, my, my sister-in-law is actually older than my mom. And my mother-in-law could have been my grandmother, but she had my wife at 38. And so there was a big, you know, my wife is one year older than I am, but there's a big gap. And they didn't believe that my mother-in-law was pregnant with my wife. All of her siblings, because they were 16, 16 years of age, 9 and I think 12. And they were like, you're not pregnant, Mom, until she had the baby. <laughs> and somebody else picked them up from school, and they said, where's my mom? And they said, she's at the hospital. She had the baby. What? <laughs> we thought she was lying. <laughs> now, I made, I made a mention of Amber Noonan earlier. She's, she's, I, was, I was kind of taken in as their family. I'm on, you ever see their Christmas card? There's a brown family on there with them. That's my family. And... I was kind of engrafted into their family. I was able to live with them when I was graduating high school. My mom moved away, and said so I didn't want to, and so, and I knew I'd be in a rough spiritual spot if I did. So I lived with their family for three years. Now you take my testimony, Amber's testimony, though. She was raised in a pastor. Her dad was a pastor. Her grandpa was a pastor. Their family goes six or seven generations of being saved. Unbelievable. On her, on her grandfather's side. On her grandmother's side, her great-grandfather was led to Christ in the Billy Graham crusade in, in Los Angeles back in the 50s. And they've got a great Christian heritage. I don't have that. And that's what these two men were like. But here's what God is saying. It doesn't matter what your background is. You as a church should be able to come together. And why can we have the same mind as a church? Because here's what he said in Philippians chapter 2, when he said, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, the Bible says he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So if we're going to have the same mind, how we can have the same mind, it's got, it's got to be a humble mind. If you, I'm telling you, pride, if it will enter into this place or your church or into your home, pride is the number one divider of people. You understand why there's, there's racism and racial issues? It is, it, the root of all racism is pride. It is pride in your skin color, pride in your superiority, pride in your genetics. It is the root of it is pride. And until we root out pride, we will never have unity in our nations, in our world and communities. I'm not better than you just because I can go outside and not get burned. But I do thank the Lord for that. You're not better than me because in the wintertime you absorb more heat than I do, okay? Listen, we're all, we're all the children of Adam. Yeah, that's right. What happened is pride begins to creep up in our heart. Yeah. We begin to think we're better than somebody else or because we were raised or because we have more money. Mm-hmm. You remember that story about rich man and Lazarus? 
There's going to come a day when all those people with all those riches in their pocket, their riches won't buy them one drop off of a beggar's finger when they go to hell. Isn't it amazing that, that, that Lazarus spent half his life saying, give me one crumb off your table. And now in eternity, he's saying, give me one drop of water off that nasty beggar's finger. The tables can turn real quick. Yeah. And we're not better than anybody because we're not suffering like they are. We got more money in our pocket than they do. It's by the grace of God we are what we are. And by the way, both of these guys, Yodius and Sintiki, it, it is both by the grace of God they are what they are. I can look at my life and say, man, my testimony, man, I didn't grow up without, if I, if I saw my father this day, I wouldn't know who he was. Never met him. Okay? But it's the grace of God I am where I am today. And it's the same grace that's Amber Noonan, by the grace of God, she is what she is. But her and I, if we're going to have the same mind, if we're going to have a church filled with people with all type of testimonies here this morning, if we're gonna get, if we're gonna do something as a church, we got to get the same mind. It's got to be a humble mind. It's got to be a humble mind. I've been to churches where it, 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 you get a prideful, whether it's the musicians of the church, whether it's a deacon in the church. You know, the Bible says that even about a pastor. It says you don't hire a pastor who is a novice, and that's not so much about their age as they are their knowledge and maturity in the scriptures. But it says you don't even hire a pastor that is a novice, least being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Mm-hmm. You understand that the original sin of all the universe is pride. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Look at Isaiah chapter 14, and uh, where it talks about, or I think it's Isaiah 14, where it talks about the devil said, I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the sides of the north. Uh, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. The devil said, I, 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 I. And God said, you know what? You're going to be brought down to hell and to the sides of the pit. And they that see thee are going to narrowly look upon thee and say, is this he that troubleth the nations? They're going to look at and you and your pride, by the way, you and your pride, you're going to rise up in pride. And instead of being a humble servant of the Lord, you rise up in pride and then you're going to fall flat on your face and everybody's going to say, that's who was prideful? Man, their life's a mess now. What would be better for you to do is to humble yourself. And just say, I just want to serve the Lord. You know, Jesus said the greatest of these is a servant. They used to say, the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. And some ladies today, they, they think that's not an important job. But I'm going to tell you, most men, even men in war, when they're dying, guess who they ask for? They ask for mama. You watch these sports athletes, these big, huge men. And I saw somebody, my brother is 6'5". And like 300 pounds. He's huge. And you get these big athletes, 6'6", Shaquille O'Neal, seven foot tall. And he's this big monster with feet the size of my legs. You know, <laughs> and he's, he's over here. And the first thing out of their mouth when they get that million dollar contract, I want to thank my mother. <laughs> uh, Kevin Durant, a couple years ago, that basketball player, Kevin Durant. I mean, he's it, it, te- big old crocodile tears coming down his face. My mom's the real MVP. <laughs> and mothers understand something your service it's not it's not a it's not a a a, a small thing for you to be serving yeah. it's massive because when you're humble and you just serve people you're the one they're going to talk about and you as a church member 
Listen, I'm telling you, the pastor may have the title, but man, no pastor can do what he, what he, any, anything at all of consequence unless he has humble people around him serving. Right. And I'm going to tell you, here's what, here's what most pastors do that you don't realize. I'm going to get past this point because we've got a lot more ingredients, but we'll not go long. Most pastors, when I talk to them, here's what they say. Man, I got a guy in my church, man, that just, man, they just serve the Lord. They just want to be servants. I think he made that statement to me yesterday. Man, we just have people that just want to serve the Lord. You know when that happens? That happens when people are humble. Mm-hmm. That happens when, you know, the old saying is, it would be amazing what we could do if we don't care who gets the credit. That's right. But a lot of times we're so busy looking for the pat on the back that we don't get the work done because we're worried about if we're going to be praised later. But if this is going to be great, listen, I spent 14 years of my life serving for a pastor that when he got up, listen, everybody would say, man, Pastor Noonan, man, I'm telling you, he's building a great work there. God's using him and then God, man, the church, we grew, when we moved buildings, we grew by 60% within six months. It was nuts. We, we, we literally ran out of space within five or six months of building a new building. And so we had to go to two morning services because it, it just got nuts. We couldn't have our ministries anymore all on Sunday. We had to move our kids' ministries to Saturday and use every room. And it's just nuts. And people all over the country were like, man, Pastor Noonan, man, he's cutting it up, man. He's tearing it up. He's setting the woods on fire, man. They're getting hundreds and hundreds of people every Sunday coming. And, 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 and 200 people on bus route. And it just, it was nuts. And I, heard, I overheard our pastor one time talking to a man. Matter of fact, he was a Filipino pastor, Pastor Aranda. He pastors in the Chicago area. And he said, he said uh, something about me, and he said this. He said, he said Brother Allen, because he wanted me to, he was going to have me come preach at his church. And he said, he said, man, Brother Allen is my right-hand man, and sometimes he's my left hand too. <laughs> you know what Pastor was doing? Pastor was saying, it's not all about me. Yeah. It's all about Calvin. No, but uh, <laughs> I walked into the room, I said, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm the hand that rocks the, No. Here, here's what I say a lot of times. I said, man, listen, I, I've had these guys influence my, I've had our bus director who, who has been responsible for over a million kids coming to church on church buses. I have had our pastor invest in my life. If I'm anything in the ministry and it's about that big, if I do anything in the ministry, it's because of the men that influenced me and pointed me to Jesus. Amen. And you know what? When you have a church full of people like that that not trying to seek the glory but spreading it out, it's amazing the spirit that happens in that place, and it's amazing the work that can get done in that place. But we've got to have a humble mind. We've got to have a holy mind. And he talked about this later in chapter number two. He talked about being unspotted from the world and being blameless in this generation. Listen, if it, it, here's what happens. If we're a church and we're supposed to be of the same mind, and listen, you bring your sin into the church, and I bring my sin into the church, and they bring their sin into the church, what we're going to happen is we're going to have a worldly church. Yeah. We're going to have a church that God has to say, you know what? There are churches in Revelation where God said, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Yeah. I'm going to take away your right to be called a church. I'm going to take away your blessing on your church. I'm going to take away my spirit off of your church. And we're going to be like Samson, who, who we're going to go out and do battle like we've always done, and he knew not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. 
And I've seen churches that way where they got so fleshly and so and they want to cater to teenagers and they want to say, what do the young people want in the church? And so they have the music and they have the worldly dress and they have the worldly. And when we start catering to the world, God says, OK, I'm not welcome here. I'm, I'm not going to show up. Yeah. And there are churches today that don't even know that the glory of the Lord has departed from them. Because they're not of the same mind. Listen, I don't preach because I don't avoid my sin in the Bible. And I don't avoid the sins of the people that are there. I preach the Bible because if we will all get the mind of Christ, which is the word of God, we will all be able to have a unity together. Well, you just preach on that because I know I'm preaching the whole counsel of God. I'm preaching the whole Bible. So when the Bible talks about your sin, I'm going to preach it. When the Bible talks about my sin, I'm going to preach it. But if we will have a biblical mindset and and a humble mindset to receive the word of God, it's amazing how much we can come together because it's not about you or me. It's about what does the word of God say? And the word of God is what makes us holy. The word of God is what purified. The Bible says purifying our mind by the word of God and and our conscience by the word of God. It's that that helps us be of the same mind. If it it was up to me, then I would only preach about things that are not going to offend me. And guess what? I'm going to offend the rest of you because we're not of the same mind anymore. Because, it, Or if I just preached my opinion. Yeah. I'm very careful not to preach my opinion in the, in the church. Other than being a fan of the Green Bay Packers. <laughs> and not a fan of LeBron James. <laughs> other than that, my opinion will not be preached. But if we're going to get some help, we've got to have a humble, holy mind. Not only this, but he said, I want you to have the same mind. Very quickly. Number two, he said, I want you to have the same mission. In verse number three, he talked about those that labored together with him in the gospel. Listen, unity in the church, we have to be unified around the same mission. And the mission is the gospel. It's the gospel. There is a world, listen, we talked about it yesterday. We were sharing a burden about the city of Toronto that, I mean, I mean, so many diverse cultures right there, even around your church and, and different things. And I said, man, if we could get somebody that spoke this language, or if we could get somebody that wants to be a missionary over here and they can come right to Toronto and they've got, you know, Sri Lankans, they've got uh, Sikh, they've got uh, Indian, they've got Punjab, they've got Filipino. Listen, they, we're worried about going 3,000 miles somewhere and it's right here in Toronto, it's right in Chicago, it's right in Milwaukee where I live. And the central mission of the church, listen, it is the gospel. I love fellowship. But Paul said this, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now in Philippians 1. Our fellowship is because of the gospel. And we ought to fellowship to give us strength to go back out and preach the gospel again. Now, one of the greatest things about their daily breaking bread and, 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 and every house and meeting in Acts chapter 2 was, in Acts chapter, you know, Acts chapter 2, 2,000 2, people, 3,000 people uh, get saved and baptized and added to the church. Most people don't even realize this. In Acts chapter 4, 5,000 people are saved. How did that happen? Here's how it happened. This 120 came, preached the gospel. 3,000 people get saved, baptized, added to the church. In chapter 41, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and breaking of bread and house to house and all these different things. They were fellowshipping so that they had the strength so that two chapters later, after they've even been beaten, now 5,000 people are able to be saved. Because they kept the focus around the gospel. 
Listen, I'm, I'm thankful for singing in the church. I sing. I've, we've recorded 12 different CDs. I'm glad about it. But the central, listen, it's not about schools. It's not about, I'm thankful for this campground. But it's not about campgrounds and getting secluded. It is about getting the gospel to the rest of the world. And if you will keep that as the focal point of your church, listen, your church will continue on for long and long and long times. It can't be about our little pet issue over here. I'm thankful for the King James Bible, but some people are so wrapped up in defending the King James Bible that they never share the King James Bible with anybody else. And so they spend all the time and ministry and energies focusing on, on proving the King James Bible is right, but they never take a gospel track across the street to them to men that are dying and going to hell that need what's inside of that King James Bible. But if you'll keep the mission, listen, the mission is not Christian fellowship. The mission is not building our own little Christian secluded ministry. The mission is not singings and, and concerts. and It's the gospel. Matter of fact, the Bible says if our gospel is hid, it is hid to them that are lost. We can't hide this gospel. And one of the most uniting things I can see in a church is those who decide they're going to give the gospel out. Those who support missions and are unified as a church that we're going to support missions. Well, my church supports missions. No, 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 no. Do you support missions? Well, my church is a soul winning church. No, no, no. Do you witness to people? Well, my church has gospel tracks. Do you have gospel tracks? And I'm going to tell you what it does. And when the pastor says, man, we ought to be getting the gospel to the world, you say amen a little louder because your heart's in unison with what he just said. And if it's not, here we start making up excuses and we act like we're Calvinists because we got to make up an excuse of why people aren't getting saved around us because we're lazy and not unified. Same mission. Not only that, but he said, he said this, he said uh, very quickly, he said, rejoice in the Lord always. I, I think we ought to have the same mood. I think I'd have the same mood as the church. You know, nothing makes a church service more <laughs> more dead and dry up faster than one crank sitting in the church. I mean, you ask him, brother, man, how's it going? And there's a lot of positive people. Man, I don't think you don't have to smile every second of the day, you know. And uh, if you do that, you're just weird. But, um, you know, but some of you haven't smiled in 20 years. Preacher said, let's try something new. We're going to smile. <laughs> but there's nothing like going to the church, man. You're on fire for the Lord. You've been listening to the Christian music, man. You're, you're on the way here or like their son, he's singing all the way here. He's making up songs and uh, he's like, he finds a tune and just writes the words. Like, so he's got a future in songwriting. But you're, man, you, you ever been excited and come to church, man? It's like, yeah, it's Sunday. All right. All right. And you come over here and you say, brother, how's it going? Well, you know. You know, it's getting bad out here. It's getting rough, you know. Well, just holding on, brother. Hold you, God's unchanging hand. Man, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's terrible out here. Isn't it terrible? Man, you heard what they did in Ottawa. It's just bad. It's terrible. And Charles Barkley, terrible. <laughs> how, how you doing there, brother? Oh, good under the circumstances. And our pastor would say, what you doing under there? <laughs> And you can kill a service that fast by your mood. Yeah. And Paul said, listen, I'm talking to all of you. 
find something to rejoice about. And if all you can hang on to, sometimes all I can hang on to is, I'm not going to hell. A friend of mine wrote a song about that. I'm not going to hell. I met the Savior. What a story to tell. And I'm going to tell you, some days that's all I can hang on to. I mean, you ever had one of those days where everything goes wrong? And it usually happens like Saturday night or Sunday morning. If there's going to be an argument in our house, it's going to be Saturday night as I'm preparing for a message or it's going to be Sunday morning. You pull up to the church parking lot and you're like, shut up, kids. Life, you need, you need to obey your love. You need to keep your smile. And then the pastor walks by and you're like, hi, preacher. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> There's still some folks out here. He ain't making me laugh today. <laughs> Listen, it's unifying when we have the same type of spirit amongst each other. So I just have a down personality. Well, get a new one. (laughs) (laughs) She said, that's pretty funny. You know, the Bible says, the joy of the Lord is our... So the opposite is our weakness. And sometimes there's some weak spots in the church and we can't... can't, We're trying to hold up the burden... But because of negativity sometimes, we get weakened by that. And listen, some of us need to get our heart right and say, you know what? I'm done being a sourpuss Christian. I mean, some people, they come to church and they look like they've been drinking straight lemon juice for the last four weeks. That was one of those things that's going to get me uninvited. <laughs> but... My, the pastor I went to college, he's like, some of you look like you've been sucking on persimmons. <laughs> I never knew what a persimmon was, but I, I figured it was sour. <laughs> but guess what? If you, if you get your heart right and get the joy of the Lord back in your life, you say, I can't find it. Here's what you do. You come to the altar and you ask God to restore, just like David. Remember David? He said, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Right. And some of you need to find your joy restored this morning. Because, listen, we're all, boy, it's, it's a lot nice. They call it morale in the military. And they always want to make sure morale, they will fly comedians over just to do an hour program halfway across the world because they understand how important morale is. And we as Christian soldiers, listen, morale is very important. And that's why we don't listen to music like, it will be worth it all. <laughs> When we see Jesus, life's trials will seem so small. I'm not against that song. That's not a good Sunday morning special. You know, Sunday morning, I'll be like, man, I'm glad I'm serving a God who's able to deliver. I'm glad I'm serving a God who is able to defend. I'm glad I'm serving a God who hears me when I pray. I'm glad I'm serving a God on whom I can depend. I mean, you you ain't got to sing that specific song. I'm just saying something. I mean, it's the joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Somebody need to find that joy and be in the same mood next here very quickly. The same moderation. Moderation means this. I used to wonder what that word means. And uh, we, were, we were having a discussion on it the other day. But moderation means this. It means fairness, 
graciousness, mildness, gentleness. It indicates a balance. There's, there's some people that just think, there's some people in our church that when we make a, here, here's what they're like, when we make a controversial statement, amen. You know, we say, parents, you get those kids. Yeah, get them. <laughs> and their kids are the worst in the whole church. <laughs> like, how does that work out? Like, y'all all up those kids. Yes, sir. Oh. You know what we ought to be known for as a church? Our graciousness. Yes, right. Our graciousness. You know, some people in Christianity, they, they really think it's their job to really tick off every other religion. I mean, it's like their badge of honor. I'm telling you, atheists, you're the stupidest people on this. I realize the Bible says they're fools, but the Bible says the God of this world is the one that's blinded their minds. They're, they just don't know any better. Yeah. False religion, listen, many of them they don't know any better. They're deceived people. And we ought to be known for our graciousness. We don't, we don't chop people's heads off if they don't accept our religion. We love them like Jesus said, love your enemies. And we do kind to them that despitefully use us. That's what we do. And if you don't have, listen, our moderation, this church ought to be known as a church that it's the getting saved church. Yeah. This ought to be the getting saved church and it ought to be the getting right church. That people know when they're broken that there's a place, they can, there's a hospital they can come to. Yeah. And you ought to be one of those Christians that, listen, we don't treat, we, we, we treat them like they're, they're, they're trying to illegally cross our border. Yeah. Sinners, we treat that way. I, I, I was telling the preacher, I, I had the worst crossing I ever had in my life two weeks ago at the border. She said, do you speak English? And I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miss French-Canadian. Parlez-vous <laughs> français? No. <laughs> but uh, no, it was just crazy. And listen, I'm not trying to sneak in here. <laughs> I got my passport. <laughs> we treat sinners sometimes like they're... They're going to ruin our club. Mm. Ruin our club? Mm. The church is not a museum to display our goodness. It is a hospital to help sick, hurting people. That's right. You ought to be known for that. That's right. Lastly here. He said this. I have time to I'll just mention this one. I believe we're on number six. The same methods. The same methods. And what's that method? That method is in the power of God. Verse number six, he just meant, I'm just mentioning this. He said, everything ought to be done through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving and let our request be known to God. He said, the way you ought to do things, it ought to be in the spirit of prayer and supplication. What's him? I want the power of God. I want God's blessing on everything that we do. Sunday school teachers, do you pray for your class? I don't mean before the class. I mean during the week. Those of you that meet in your homes and different things, do you pray for the people that are going to show up? Do you pray for the people you're going to witness to? Do you pray for those teenagers? You may be a youth director or assistant pastors or deacons in the church. Everything we do ought to be done through prayer and thanksgiving and supplications. Everything. Before you sing that special, ma'am, sir, do you pray? Before you play the instruments, do you play? Oftentimes I pray, Lord, guide my fingers. 
Lord, guide my voice, help my voice to be strong. Because I don't, and not, to, not so I sound good, so I don't take away from the message yeah. of the song. Right. Next. And lastly, he mentions this. Verse number 22, he said this. All the saints salute you. Chiefly, they that are of Caesar's household. Now, several things about that statement there that you've got to take knowledge of. He said the saints at Caesar's household salute you. Understand this. How did they get there? They're saints at Caesar's household? Because Paul was a gospel witness everywhere he went. Everywhere he went. There was no Christians there before he got there. But he said, now that I'm here, there's some saints at Caesar's household too. And he said, though they said, happy greetings to you. Why is that? Because not only did they have the same mind, the same mission, same mood, same method, but they had the same memorial. They had the same memorial. Paul went around everywhere and he said, let me tell you about what's going on. I missed one, didn't I? And uh, Paul said, I'm going to tell you moderation. Paul said, I'm going to tell you about these guys over back here in Philippi. Wouldn't it be something if the Lord said, man, let me tell you about those Christians over at Mississauga. Man, let me tell you about the group of people that God, that I'm using over there. Wouldn't it be amazing if God said, let me tell you about their home, man. They're a home that blesses me. They serve me. And by the way, not only will God acknowledge you, other people will see what's going on in your life. You know when he said, when you get saved, here's what's going to happen. God is going to put a new song in your heart and many will see it and fear and trust in God. You know why? Because that is a memorial to the Lord Jesus Christ in your life that he has changed you. Listen to me. And if we decide today, can we all just get along? Well, you know, I got my thing and they got their thing. You know, I'm just going to stay on this side of the church. They can stay over there. And that's going to be real good, isn't it? That, that works real well for us husbands and wives, doesn't it? Well, you just stay over on your side of the house. I'm like, I don't care as long as the refrigerator is on my side of the house. And the Bible says, behold, how good. And behold how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and behold how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. Can we all just get along? Sure we can. If we'll get the same mind, we'll get the same mission, same mood, same moderation, same motivations in there too. By the way, the Lord is at hand. That's a motivation. The same, same memorial. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I pray right now, as we have this short time of invitation, Father, that you would help some people maybe make some things right. Maybe some people, maybe they don't need to make it right. Maybe they just need to shore it up and say, you know what? I'm going to be on the same page. I'm going to have the same mind. I'm dedicating myself to do that.